It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East. It's episode eight of our weekly look at the teams, coaches, players, and the stories from the schools in the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook. He's Kevin McNamara. And friends, we have a problem in the Big East. The games are too close. (laughs) The games are too heated. The effort expended is a drain emotionally, physically, mentally, and that's just for the media and the fans. Can't even imagine what it must be like for the players and coaches who seemingly ratchet their intuitive abilities up another notch when games get to the frantic endings. Kev, I'm going to give you Wednesday night's Providence game against Xavier as the example. It ended up as the longest game in the Friars' 43-year Big East history and the first league game to hit triple overtime in 12 years since St. John's outlasted DePaul back in 2010. It was also the fourth three-overtime game ever in the Big East. So it was some game, it was some effort, 99-92 in triple overtime, crushing for the Musketeers, euphoric for the Friars. John, I still have a headache, and it's almost (laughs) 12, 14 hours after the game, and and I'm this goofy little media guy sitting in the stands. The, the, The fans are drained. The players, Nate Watson is as big and as strong as any player in the Big East. I'm walking away from the post-game media. Nate said, I am toast. I mean, he's 275 pounds, John. So it certainly does take a toll. It actually, Nate also added, he says, I can't imagine how the guys in the NBA do it. Nate played, well, he played almost 45 minutes. Right. So I, he got a touch of the NBA life on, in that outing. Yeah, I think there was one player, uh, if I remember the box score correctly, Xavier actually went 50 of the 55 minutes played. Uh, there were a couple of Friars I know that played, I think, 48, 49 minutes. So, I mean, I just I can't imagine what the uh, the energy expended would have been for the players in the aftermath. I know for the coaches it was draining, but uh, even for the media, that, that was just a heck of a game. I mean, it wasn't aesthetically speaking, it wasn't the most beautiful game. But when all is said and done, I don't know how any fan couldn't could feel like they didn't get their money's worth. Yeah, no, John, it's interesting. You know, it, they are college players. There's a lot of mistakes, a lot of mental errors. That's understandable when you're out there for 55 minutes. It just shows that, you know, Providence, there's something special with this Friar team. To to be able to survive that one, and they've had maybe not triple overtime games, but they've had so, so many close games. As you said off the top, it's it's, it's a pleasant problem around the league with all these close games. All right, let's check in now with a look around at this week's Big East headlines. The triple overtime win for Providence over Xavier puts the Friars in the precipice of claiming their first ever regular season title in the Big East, needing one win in their final two games over the next week. Because of the COVID pauses during the season, there are a few games that cannot be made up due to the crowded scheduling, and for a second straight year, the overall Big East championship will be decided by winning percentage. And while the Friars are on history's doorstep, Villanova is two games back in the loss column and hoping for an assist, perhaps from Creighton Saturday night in Providence. And speaking of the Blue Jays, they're tied for third in the league standings right now with Connecticut. Both are arguably the hottest teams running, with the Huskies having won five straight and the Jays six straight heading into the weekend. 
Tuesday this week featured a top 25 showdown between the Huskies and the Wildcats at the XL Center in Hartford. Villanova had a four-point lead with 46 seconds left, and then UConn's R.J. Cole came through in the clutch with a contested layup for the lead with 5.9 left on the clock, and then he forced a turnover with just a single tick on the clock remaining to secure the Huskies' win. Three Big East teams remain ranked in this week's Associated Press Top 25. Providence, Villanova, UConn representing Marquette, Creighton, Xavier, and Seton Hall all receiving votes in either the AP or the USA Today coaches poll. In the NCAA net rankings, six Big East teams rank in the top 37. Seven are in the top 60. Eight are placed in the top 71 nationally. Kevin, that includes hard-charging St. John's also had a winning streak snapped with a home loss to Creighton on Wednesday. Johnnies are 15 and 12. They're in a spot where they could create an NCAA opportunity for themselves. Well, it could, but difficult loss. Iconoseca Arena, they're so dangerous. Uh, I think a different level St. John's team, and they let one get away to a very good Creighton team who's playing really well right now. I think the Johnnies need to win out. Difficult uh, stretch for sure at DePaul, uh, back in Conoseca against a you know Xavier and then at Marquette. If they can get to 10 and 9, I think they'll have something to talk about with the NCAA committee. We should probably also mention your significant injury going forward for Creighton. It occurred in the second half of their game Wednesday at St. John's, as we were talking about. Six-time Big East freshman of the week guard Ryan Nemhart injured his right wrist. He's going to require surgery that is going to end his season. Literally and figuratively, that's a tough break for one of the league's best young players. No question, John. I I think he probably is the favorite for Big East Rookie of the Year. Uh, Also, the point guard. I mean, the the brains, the engine of the the Creighton team, they've won six in a row. They have a chance to really finish well with three really high-powered games. I think they're an NCAA tournament team. Just a really tough break for the uh, Jays. Uh, We should probably mention here that uh, if the name sounds familiar, it should because uh, Ryan's the younger brother of Gonzaga guard Andrew Nemhard, and uh, Ryan leads his team in minutes played, averages better than 11 points and four assists for the Blue Jays. Hey, thank you to our Westwood One affiliate stations for being with us this season, and thank you for catching us on SiriusXM. If you're listening on your favorite podcast site, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. We thank all of our podcast partners, and for more on the podcast, visit our website at twitby.buzzsprout.com. You can always listen to the program online. WestwoodOneSports.com and BigEast.com are the places to go. Inside Episode 8 this week, the passion is back at Connecticut, with the Huskies beginning to realize the hype upon their return to the Big East. Dan Hurley fills us in on just how his team is getting it done back in familiar surroundings. National college basketball analyst and columnist Mike DeCourcy gives us his updated thoughts on Big East teams in the postseason and on this crazy regular season headed to the wire. And one of the teams very much in the mix, Seton Hall, could use a little momentum of its own in ramping up their own postseason chances. All Big East candidate Jared Roden provides his thoughts on the Pirates' task at hand next. This week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. Big East Spotlight. First time a little 2-2-1. They can use a little bit of clock and get back in their man-to-man. Roden pulled up. Yes. Nice look and fine. Because right now they are the tougher of the two teams. And like big trip right now for Seton Hall, I think. This is their go-to guy. Roden with 25 wow. down, 27. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. You know, Seton Hall's Pirates entered this season with plenty of talent. 
a lot of opportunity in front of them. Included were then top 10 wins over Michigan and Texas. And then came Big East play and the grind, the wear and the tear of beating up on your brothers night in and night out. You know, injuries are expected. Some downtime is certainly following. And yet team expectations remain the same. They're always high. Senior forward Jared Roden from the Seton Hall Pirates joins us this week in the Big East. Jared, I'm wondering how your team, in your estimation, has handled your own expectations throughout this season. I'm sure you guys had them set pretty high. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think just being a veteran team, um, you know, having some fifth-year guys on the team, uh, you know, having the experience just being able to collectively lead the team and uh, just bring everybody together during those dark times. And, you know, battling with adversity is kind of hard sometimes, but I think when you have an older Nick group like the way we do, uh, it's, it kind of makes it a little easier. And, um, you know, Coach Willard has done an amazing job with just keeping us all sane and, you know, mm-hmm. weathering the storm. Yeah, Jerry, that, that was my question. I, I think maybe more than any Big East team this season, you guys have had to undergo and, and fight off an awful lot of issues, mainly injuries, obviously COVID to some extent as well. And yet now, you know, we can see March in the distance. It looks like you're pointed in the right direction. What, was there a, a, a low point? Or was maybe there also a point where you did start to see that things are going to be okay? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, for us, January was kind of a low point for us where, you know, we just recently came back from COVID. Um, we were battling some injuries, like you guys said. And, you know, it was just a struggle time. And we just had to find it within ourselves to just, you know, just continue to push forward, to continue to move on. Um, and I think that the guys did a good job of just, you know, staying the course and believing in Coach Willard's process. and. Um, I think it's been really beneficial for us, and I think we're going to have a good run in March now. How did you guys handle the frustration? Because I know I can see it. We've seen a bunch of your games, so we can visibly see the frustration on the floor. How did you guys handle that internally amongst yourselves, amongst you, you and your teammates? Um, I think it goes to the character of these dudes, man. I mean, it becomes frustrating at times, but I think they do a good job. Like All of us do a good job of you know, you know, seeing the bigger picture and seeing what's at stake. And, um, you know, like I said, I think the experience is so big for us. You know, these guys know that this, some of these dudes are, the, this is their last opportunity to play college basketball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just knowing that there's a bigger, there's a bigger, um, there's a bigger reward at the end and just, you know, weathering the storm, I think is the biggest thing for us. Hey, Jared, how have you personally been able to kind of fight those things off? It's interesting. As I look at your game log, you know, you've had some really big games. You've had some big games from the three point line and then you've had some struggle games where clearly teams are focusing on you. You, you, you are the number one guy on the scouting report. Uh, you know, I would imagine. Uh, how have you adjusted to that spotlight? Oh, it's, it's definitely been different. And uh, I think my coaches have done a great job of, you know, keeping me in tune with that and, and allowing me to know that, that that's the case. You know, knowing that I'm the top guy in the scouting report um, coming into these games and just being more prepared to – to, to know how to deal with it. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's more about the winning. And I think that that's what's important. And I know that's what, uh, what, what really matters in the long run. And um, so, you know, battling with the bad games, the good games, it doesn't really matter. I just I'm trying to do anything I can just to get my team to win. And I think uh, that's what I kind of been trying to keep myself to remember throughout the season. Seton Hall's Jared Rona joining us this week in the Big East. All right, Jared, so let's take a little a bit of a look around the league because you've had a chance to probably get to most places, see all the teams pretty much for, for this point in time. I know it's been a little bit of a, of a quirky schedule, but COVID obviously has had something to do with that. What's your favorite place to play other than your own arena? Wow, that's a good question. Um, 
actually my favorite place to play is actually my next place that we play, which is Xavier, which okay. is actually kind of funny. Um, I just love the I just love the arena. It's so modern, so nice. Uh, they have nice soft rims, um, and I like being in Cincinnati as well. So it's it's a nice area, and I, I really like playing at. Wait, Xavier. wait, wait, wait! Tell me, tell me, tell me. Are, are you a Skyline Chili guy? No, no, I'm not. I've never had. <laughs> I was wondering. I just just thought I'd take a shot. I, I might have to try it now. I definitely have to try it. All right, all right. Yeah, John, he's he's just a visitor. He gets in and out of Cincy as fast as he can. Get a win and move, right, Jared? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, only about thirty six hours in. <laughs> That's right. Hey, hey Jared, uh, you know, for the first time in a, in a year, we'll, we'll be at the Garden in a couple weeks. Um, for a local guy, you're from Baldwin, New York, just above New York City. I can imagine the excitement, and you're going in with a pretty good team. The excitement of the Big East tournament has to start to be building as well. Oh yeah, man, absolutely. It means so much to me. Uh, you know, I think my sophomore year losing that that one year due to COVID, not being able to participate in the Big East tournament, kind of hurt me, and it kind of fueled my fire a little bit, just to you know continue on to push and um, you know seek bigger things like this year. Um, and you know, last year it didn't quite turn out how I wanted it to. Um, but, you know, being a local kid, you know, I grew up always being around the garden. Um, you know, I was a ball boy for the Knicks when I was about like nine, ten years old. So that's just something that I've always loved to play. I love being in the garden. And, you know, it's home for me, really. And I'm excited to it. I'm excited to play. And I think we're going to have a good run in the tournament this year. Well, that's that's interesting. So that begs the question now, what did you pick up as a kid? as a ball boy for the Knicks that you actually still find usable or pertinent to what you do today? I think the biggest thing that I saw was, you know, how the older guys on the Knicks teams like led the younger guys. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of really showed me, you know, what leadership was and what it was like to be a kind of a professional and just the way they moved and how just respectful they were and how detailed they were about little things. And, you know, as a young kid, I, I didn't always, I didn't always really appreciate it, but now that I'm older and I, and I kind of been through a little more of my own experience, I think I saw how important those things were that I saw as a young, as a young boy. With the loss of Bryce Aiken, obviously taking some time for Seton Hall to adjust. Curious where you guys are with that. Uh, obviously we'd love to see Bryce get back in the lineup between now and, and the Big East tournament. How has that adjustment been for your team? Um, it's been a big adjustment. Um, you know, Jameer Harris has done a phenomenal job filling in as a backup point guard. And, you know, he's done he's been real attentive, real focused on, you know, trying to fulfill that role. And um, I just think everyone's done a good job of just stepping up into uh, individually and collectively as well. Just, you know, trying to fulfill that role because, you know, 15 points per game is a lot to to, to try to <laughs> to make up for. And I think that we've done a good job of. And, and Bryce's leadership as well is something that you can't account for um, statistically. And I think that uh, it's something that we miss and everyone's done a good job of just, you know, doing it collectively. I was just going to say, you guys have learned how to then play without him and, ex- and excel really without him if you need to. Definitely. Yeah. You know, just, you know, trusting each other and believing in each other and our abilities. Um, I think that's what's helped us a lot. Always appreciate the visit. Thanks to former Knicks ball boy and Seton Hall's Jared Roden. Who's hot? Everyone. Okay, well, some are hotter than others. Big East Players of the Week, the players to watch, and a blast from the past. All next, this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Who's hot? 
Tried to get the outlet pass, broken up by St. John's. Adewusu up at Alexander, shovels it to Mathis. It's a hot potato, Alexander picks it up. Cross court feed, left corner to Champagny. His three up and in. St. John's will not go away. 64-62, we got a ball game down by two. Welcome back. This week of the Big East, John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Hey, on the player of the week, familiar name, Kev. Julian Champagny from St. John's. He averaged 29 points, five steals, four and a half rebounds, four assists in what was a perfect week up to Wednesday's game against Creighton. But he was also the U.S. Basketball Writers Association National Player of the Week for his performance last week. Played as well as anyone in the country for sure. And, you know, this is a player, John, who I wouldn't say could carry his team through the end of the season, into the Big East tournament, maybe into March, deep into March. But Julian Champagny, with the way he gets rolling score on the ball, is certainly one of the candidates. Our freshman of the week, we, we mentioned him earlier uh, in a sort of a, a negative sense, but Ryan Nemhard wins the Big East Freshman of the Week award again. 16 points, 5.7 assists, 3.7 rebounds uh, in a perfect week for the Blue Jays. But, of course, he had that devastating wrist injury against St. John's that's going to require surgery and knock him out for the rest of the year. Again, young team, talented team. Creighton is certainly peaking. Uh, Big East honor all speaking of Ryan Hawkins of Creighton in that perfect week for the uh, Blue Jays, 18 points, 10 rebounds, nearly 11 rebounds per game, almost two steals per game. He had 25 and 11 in a win at DePaul. And so, you know, Ryan Hawkins is going to probably end up shouldering more than his fair share of the load in Nemhard's absence, especially. John, then they went to St. John's and won again at Carnesecca. Big difference than winning at Madison Square Garden. Hawkins, 25 and 12. Yeah. He, he's he's a big time player. Uh, Adama Sonogo, UConn, 17 and a half points and 12 and a half rebounds. So he averaged a double double in a perfect week for the Huskies. It takes an extraordinary performance, I think, to kind of knock that off the top of the podium. Uh, Nate Watson, 21 and a half points for the Friars in two games. Jared Roden, uh, who, of course, uh, we've spoken to. 16 points, 11 and a half rebounds, also averaging a double double for the week. And then Colin Gillespie of Villanova. Blast from the past this week, celebrating 40 years of great moments inside Madison Square Garden at the Big East Tournament. Turns back the clock to 2009, 13 years ago. Where I'm going with this? One of the most memorable moments, not just in Big East history, but in college basketball history. This is one of those games where I don't want to say there isn't a loser, but it's a survivor. Walker all along the way it in. Gavendorf at the buzzer. Oh! They're going to wave it off. Have to prepare yourself now for overtime. Walker contested and will head for double overtime. Doesn't get any better. Walker for the win. Unbelievable. This is as good as I've been involved in. Andy runs for three. How good is this? A nightmare for Paul Harris. Yo, Adrian could not deliver the knockout punch. Overtime number six. Robbins looks fresh as a daisy. Harris missed another time. Harris fouled and it counts. Plotting for both teams. Remarkable. I can't imagine being involved in a, in a better basketball game. As long as we have the extra time thing going on this week in the league, perhaps the most memorable tournament game of all time was also the longest tournament game of all time. Syracuse and Connecticut tipped off as the nightcap of the Garden, 9.36 Eastern time, didn't finish until 1.22 in the morning the next day. The Orange beat the Huskies 127-117 in a record six overtimes each period extra period 
punctuated by big play after big play, dagger after dagger. Kemba Walker, Eric Devendorf, Andy Routens. Each side had four players foul out. Players were staggering on the floor, cramps from dehydration. It was the ultimate battle of survival to see which side could simply outlast the other. And Syracuse never led during the first five extra periods. They took over in the sixth period, led by Johnny Flynn and Paul Harris. It was as memorable as it was exhausting for the players, the coaches, the fans, and all of us that were covering the game. I was actually on the mic for the national radio broadcast in that one. My partner was former Villanova star John Celestan. He lost his voice in the second overtime and couldn't finish. John, I was so excited to see Jim Beheim and Jim Calhoun one more time. You know, 9.30 game, maybe be out for a few cocktails with some friends by 11.30 midnight. No such luck. Sorry. <laughs> That's A. And, and you said memorable, John. It's such a perfect word. I go up to Syracuse from time to time. I see these Syracuse, you know, orange people walking around New England. They oftentimes wear six overtime jerseys and T-shirts. It's truly one of the most memorable games. It's a badge of honor, I think, for, for Syracuse fans. I think it's a badge of honor for UConn fans because they were in it. I'd say the only person who really doesn't like to talk about the game at all, Jim Calhoun. <laughs> That's <laughs> because he lost. Hey, you can be a part of future memories like these. Single session tickets on sale for the 40th anniversary of the Big East Tournament at MSG. It will take place March 9th through the 12th. It's coming up. Ticketmaster.com is the place to go. We've got our favorites, and even if the regular season finish is taking shape, the postseason tournament this year could be as volatile and as unpredictable as it's ever been. One team expected to be right in that mix made a statement this week, or did they? UConn's Dan Hurley brings his own volatility to the table next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. Big East Focus. Cole starts to his left outside the arc. No timeouts left. Here's Martin on the right sideline to Cole at the hash. Guarded by Slater. Starts back to the right. Cole to the basket. Puts it up right hand and good. And UConn leads by one. R.J. Cole attacking the 10. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. It's as if they never left. Founding Big East member Connecticut was forced to tread some water in its first year back in the league, as we all did through the pandemic. But this year, Huskies seem to fit right back into the mix, just like your feet slip into those comfortable slippers. Only UConn isn't making it comfortable for anyone, including their own head coach. Dan Hurley joins us this week in the Big East. You know, if it said anything, Coach, what did your team's win over Villanova this week say about your team, your season, your program even, or was it really just another game? Yeah, John and, and, and K-Mac, thanks for having me. The uh, I just it, it speaks to, I think, the, you know, the, the strength of, uh, you know, the strength and the health of the program. I think, you know, the, the strength of the culture that we've built, you know, that this was, you know, kind of four years in the making. You know, f- four years ago, we were – kind of like the, the, the doormat laughing stock of the AAC, <laughs> you know, and, you know, four years later, you find yourself, um, you know, playing one of the best programs in the country who um, on your home court in front of a sellout raucous crowd. And, uh, you know, and they're playing to, um, basically to hold on to kind of their hopes of a big East regular season championship for Villanova last night. They understand, you know, where they are relative to Providence with Providence coming in and, you know, to be in a game like that and to, uh, you know, to come through uh, and win just, uh, you know, speaks to the, the quality of, of, of UConn basketball. 
Dan, a million questions off that Villanova game, but maybe it's a question that keeps repeating itself, not only in your games, but throughout the league. Last possession, last two possessions, last three possessions, over and over again. How do you steal your team, steal yourself, steal your staff? To That's how these things are going to unfold the rest of the way. Well, yeah, I think now, K-Mac, you're, we're very accustomed to it. We, we've played, even for us, going back to Atlantis, we had the, the two overtime, uh, you know, uh, well, probably, you know, if not the best game of the year in college basketball, right up there with Auburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even before we got off the island, we, we went to overtime with VCU. So, you know, we've played close games the whole year, um, but there's nothing quite like a big East conference game, especially this year where, where the quality up and down the league is, uh, is incredibly high and the physicality, of our games, uh, obviously the, you've got some of the best coaches in the country and, um, you know, an incredibly physical competitive games and great venues. So, um, just get used to it. <laughs> you get more comfortable in, 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 the, in the stressful situations because you're always in them. I assume Dan also includes your players getting used to it as well. And as they get used to it and now they start to assert themselves a little bit, how do they change their game? Do they even need to change their game? Or do you ask for more of them, more of the same of what they're giving, like they gave earlier this week against Villanova? Yeah, I just think during the course of the year, you, you, you learn to handle you know, end-of-game situations better, You, you know, both offensively and defensively. It's not always like winning a game – by making the last shot or, or, or the big free throw. Sometimes you got to get a big stop or, or a big defensive rebound, um, you know, or make a smart play. But, uh, you know, for us, it's, um, you know, we've got, you know, two guys on, on the perimeter that have emerged as, you know, as guys we can go to in big games in RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin, you know, RJ's played at a, a first team all conference level this year. Tyrese has played at an all-conference level. And, and Adama Sonogo, you know, is, um, is one of the best big guys in the country. When, when he's not in foul trouble and uh, when he's on the court and when he's healthy for us, you know, we're really hard to beat. Hey, Dan, where is your team, you think, with three games to go? At Georgetown, at Creighton, DePaul at home, and then the Big East tournament. Certainly not your time to look ahead to the NCAA tournament, but that's what we do for a living uh, it looks like a potential top five seed. Now that you're through the Villanova game, do you turn the page and say, hey, guys, this is exactly where we are and have them start to look ahead to March? Yeah, well, you know, we, we've, um, I mean, the players have earned the, earned the right, you know, to experience what it feels like in a place like UConn when, when you're winning. You know, I don't know if this was our fourth in a row and, and uh, you know, 20 and seven and 11 and five in, you know, maybe the best conference in the country this year. I, I think the players for the first time since, you know, since 2014, 2015, I don't know exactly when. It's the first time that the program has had this type of momentum in a while. Mm. So I think our players are just, you know, enjoying what it feels like to be at a big time place like UConn when you're winning. Um, so I think they're obviously, they're enjoying that, but but understand that, you know, we're playing for high seeding right now in the NCAA tournament, and we're playing for high seeding in the Big East tournament because we, we want to try to advance as far as we can in both. 
All right, so let's take a look at some of these guys. You've already mentioned, uh, you know, three of the, the the stars that most everybody are already familiar with. Um, I, I think we'd be remiss, though, if we didn't mention a couple of other guys, at least in my way of thinking, and I'm sure Kevin f- probably feels a lot the same way, uh, that are really a huge contributing factor. I mean, I saw Jackson last night make a couple of plays, or Wednesday night, Tuesday night as it was, make a couple of plays that were incredibly athletic that I don't know too many players in this league might be capable of, of doing, Danny. What has he meant overall to that to that mix and being just a piece of the puzzle for you guys? Yeah, you know, John, he's like the best pure athlete I've ever coached. Just world-class speed and, and quickness, you know, laterally. Uh, north, south, uh, like what he could do vertically above the rim. Uh, and he's strong. And, um, you know, he's a, his length and, and his defensive abilities are incredibly disruptive. You know, and his vision as a passer is like mm. highest level, you know. And, and when we recruited him, we, we you know, I, you know what, what I think he liked was that we would we'd put the ball in his hands and, and let him take it in transition, and we would put him in the ball screen game where 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 he can really create with his size and his vision. And you know, I wholeheartedly believe that that he's going to be you know an NBA draft pick as a as a point guard. I think uh, an NBA team is going to look at him and his size and think of him as and is going to draft him as somebody that could be a you know a facilitator uh, at the NBA level. And uh, he's made a huge jump uh, in in, uh, in the second year. Certainly an impressive young prospect. And, you know, John and Coach, I I think the pieces that UConn has when things are operating at an optimum level, er everyone's chipping in. Tommy Polly, when he makes a three, you know, you guys are a different level. Isaiah Whaley, when he's given an impact inside alongside Sonogo or stepping outside and shooting threes. I'm wondering, Dan, uh, last one, for you guys to be your best, what is is operating at optimum, you know, power – in your eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's obviously a bunch of things. It's identity. You know, we, we, um, what we do at the rim with our rim protection, being one of the top shot blocking teams in the country and what we do with our ability to, uh, you know, to obliterate people on the offensive glass with with how we, you know, how we get after it there. Um, Obviously from, uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint, you know, we could, uh, you know, we really, with, with what Sonogo brings to the table, um, you know, we, we could play really inside out, which then, um, you know, creates, you know, good looks from the perimeter for RJ and Tyrese and Tyler Polly and Jordan Hawkins, um, you know, and some of our perimeter weapons, um, you know, but, but in the end, it's about how hard we play, you know, the passion that we play with, um, you know, the toughness that we show up with, which I think has always been reminiscent of, uh, of how UConn has always gotten it done uh, in basketball. They've gotten it done by being like super aggressive, attacking, tough as nails, you know, with, with high-level players, and, and that's what we're trying to recreate. Thanks again to UConn's Danny Hurley for joining us. The national perspective is beginning to gain some focus with a couple of weeks left in the regular season and with some news not limited to simple pick-and-roll plays. Mike DeCourcy joins us to go big picture next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. The National Perspective. And Moore up the floor, peering to the right for Gillespie. Moore, bounce pass to Gillespie along the baseline left side. Back out to Moore for three. Got it! 45-36, Villanova on top, 10-52 to play. Here in the second half, it's a 12-0 run. 
Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara. You know, as we inch a bit closer to Selection Sunday for the NCAA tournament, there are all sorts of, of issues popping up in the sport. And sure, you know, we've got league races and championships and seedings to decide, but perhaps even some fundamental sportsman-like traditions might be at stake. National College Hoop columnist for the Sporting News and Fox Bracketologist Mike DeCourcy joins us this week in the Big East. Mike, i got to start off with the whole Juwan Howard story, taking a swing at Wisconsin. There have been hundreds, literally hundreds of hot takes out there about doing away with a post-game handshake line. How do you see what happened last weekend, and how should we move forward with this issue? Is it a hot take? Because I've had this position for well more than a decade and, and have, uh, and have uh, articulated it on episodes of Big Ten basketball and beyond in the past. I, it, for me, it's not about passing a rule or something. It's just it's just this idea that you have to go through this choreographed routine after every game. And if you don't, like if I like if I hurt my ankle and I don't, you know, and or or I got hit in the hip or whatever, and I don't feel like walking down it. If I left, I get criticized. If I'm mad, like Jawan Howard was on Sunday, not justifiably so, but still mad. Uh, if he had left, and it would have been a better course of action, but still, if he had left and not shaken. Uh, Greg Gard's hand, he would have been criticized for it. Uh, I, I don't know why one must be mandated to, to shake someone's hand after the game. I think it's fine if you want to. It, I, I, I heard a, a former football coach on the radio talk about how much it meant to him to shake the hands of some of the great coaches that, that against whom uh, he competed. And I thought that was fine, but he didn't have to coach. He didn't have to shake 85 hands of players on the other team in, in some choreographed line. He just shook the other coach's hand and left. Right. And I absolutely understand the, the you know, the, the whole uh, preconceived notion of it seems a little silly, but at the same time, if we're doing away with something that's founded in sportsmanship, what are we doing playing the games at all? Well, why not play the games with sportsmanship, John? How about more of that? How about sure. less flopping? Less kicking out the legs to get three-point shots. Don't get me going on flopping here, Mike. <laughs> that's, that's where that's where sportsmanship needs to be instilled and, and honed. That's where we, where we need it, more so than a show at the end of the game. And and as I said, you guys, you know, you you guys know New England well. Um, you you look at how many times has Bill Belichick been criticized over the years for the manner in which he sh- shook or did not shake the opposing coach's hand. Mm-hmm. Is that really necessary? Is that really vital to the game? Uh, I it's it's to me it's it's what it is it's fuel for radio and television talk show hosts who want to have something to talk about other than sports. <laughs> like they don't want to have to break down that, you know, that nice out of bounds play after the at the end of a game. They'd rather talk about the handshake. Okay, as as a current radio talk show host, I'll weigh in for two <laughs> seconds. Uh, let's shake hands before we tip, like sometimes, like yeah. sometimes we do in international basketball. Right. I, I, I'm in favor of the sportsmanship. I, I get your your point, Mike. Maybe it's not in the heat of the battle post game, but how about pregame? Just just a little bit. These kids know each other. Some of these guys grew up together, played AAU ball together. Uh, let, 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 let's set an example and not walk away from it. But anyways, I know that Mr. Rook doesn't want to only talk about. I, no. Before you Initiative. go on, Kevin, I do Please. know, I do want to make it clear that I'm not condemning all, all radio talk shows. I think <laughs> most of them are wonderful, but there are those few out there that would rather divert into other subjects. John, go right ahead, please. 
All right, so let's just jump into uh, where we are with a couple of weeks to go in the, in the regular season. Uh, the Big East race certainly um, seems like it's going to come down to this final weekend or, the, or this next to last weekend uh, in the conference race with uh, UConn having knocked off uh, uh, Villanova earlier this week. What are your thoughts on UConn's charge? What are your thoughts on Providence uh, now looking like they kind of control their own destiny again? And is there a sleeper candidate somewhere in this league that we're not talking about? Because St. John seems to be charging right now. St. John's has got a long way to go to get to where they want to be, which obviously would be the NCAA tournament field. Uh, unfortunately, right. uh, really difficult time getting themselves going. Uh, but it, it, it's, 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 it's going to take a hustle and it's going to take a, an amazing stretch run. They are certainly uh, in good position in the Big East standings now at seven and eight, tied with two other teams that are certainly headed to the NCAA tournament. Uh, but they have a they have a ways to go. I think they can get there, uh, but it's going to be very difficult, especially because you're in a league. It, it, it's, it both gives and takes away. It gives opportunities for a team like St. John's that needs opportunities now because they have to make up for November, December, January. Mm-hmm. But it also means that you have to be there every night. Uh, as far as the race is concerned, I thought that the UConn result put Providence in a great spot. I mean, Providence basically needs to win one of their final th- final scheduled games and they'll clinch a tie. Right. If I right. have that read right. It, right. Yep. Uh, so it, it, what, a, what a great honor that would be for Ed, who I think is the single most underrated college basketball coach. I think he's amazing. When I hear national coach of the year discussions and I hear lots of terrific names thrown out, guys who are doing a great job. And almost every one of them, though, says, oh, yeah, and Ed Cooley, like not Ed Cooley and these other guys in the same sentence. But, oh, yeah, and Ed Cooley. To me, the sentence begins with Ed Cooley and everybody else has to try to catch up to him. Yeah, I'll give you Tommy Lloyd from Arizona and Ed Cooley at the top. Today, and I think if Providence can win a Big East championship, then certainly strengthens Ed. Uh, uh, Mike, I'm curious. We always talk about the top of the bracket, and understandably so. These teams are desperate at the bottom of the bracket. Right now in your bracket, you have Creighton as a 10 and Seton Hall as a 9. Obviously, both can play themselves off that the bottom of that bracket. Is, is it thin, or is maybe one looking a little better than the other? I think it's- Seton Hall's probably in better shape because what the committee said with their bracket reveal, at least that's what I, what I drew from it was uh, the committee said that your metrics are really important. And how did I glean that? Well, Tennessee at five and six in quad one, but very high in the net and Ken Palm uh, was ahead of Wisconsin, which at that point was 10 and four in quad one against, against quad one opponents, but only 20 or 21 in the net. And so that said to me what they were valuing. And so as they value that, Creighton is the team that has the biggest concern, I suppose, is the way you'd put it. I don't think they're in great jeopardy. I wouldn't recommend losing too many games because because of that. Seton Hall just needs to basically break even the rest of the way, win the games you're supposed to, uh, you know, compete in the games you're not supposed to. And I think they'll be fine. Now, if they want to do better than that, uh, it's out there for them. As I said, the Big East just provides near constant opportunity. It's as deep a league as there is short of the Big 12 and highly competitive at the top. And so there, there are opportunities for Seton Hall to maybe try to climb out of that 
eight, nine range that they seem likely to fall into at this point. Hey, Mike, I, I just want to follow on that. It's interesting. Uh, I've seen other interpretations of the reveal where they said, well, the metrics weren't as important as the predictive. And the example is Providence. Their metrics are, are shaky. Uh, I think in the net, they were about 30. And yet they're still, we're in the top 16. Uh, clearly, you and I would agree that Providence's resume is a top 16 resume. So I, can you spin it both ways? And maybe is that a little confusing message from the committee? No, because I think they look at Providence and, and the answer was, well, they just can't deny what they've accomplished. I mean, it, but if they really believed in it and they and then they would have been higher. I mean, it's a two seed resume, probably if you if you factored in only perform, uh, achievement metrics and their record and their quad one wins and all of that. It's probably close to a two seed and they got a four. Right. I I, I think people who interpreted it that way missed it uh, because that that's a team that is accomplishing much more than a typical four seed. But because the net's low and because Ken Palm's even, uh, you know, is, is ridiculously low, I, it, it, it's, it seems like one of the quirks that sometimes pops up in his system right. uh, that a team just gets completely devalued. And uh, I, I think Providence is achieving at a two to, to high three seed level and was placed at a four, just as Wisconsin was at a, at a solid three seed and placed as a four. So much more we could get into, but right now, it's good. Thanks to Sporting News and Fox Sports analyst Mike DeCourcy. Okay, who's got next? Crunch time for the schedule has arrived, and who is doing the crunching? That is next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next? This week in the Big East. Who's got next? This week in the Big East. So the shot clock reset. Now Reeves has it between the circles with 10 to shoot. Starts right, goes left, shovels it down to Watson, backs his way in on Enzi, scores! Good job by the Friars, being patient out there, not taking a crazy shot after that rebound. You get the ball inside, and Nate finishes it off. That was just a desire play right there for the Friars on the offensive glass. John Rook, Kevin McNamara, this week in the Big East. All right, who's got next? Well, let's just say this. Creighton at Providence for all the marbles. Saturday night at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence. Kev, what do you think? 43 years of the Big East, John, right? Am I doing my math correct? Yep, that's it. 43 seasons, Friars have never had a chance, really, not even a chance to win a Big East regular season title. And not only have a chance, it's on their home floor on senior night. So certainly everything pointing in the Friars' direction, especially with Creighton being without Ryan Demhart. No question about that. Uh, there are a couple of games on Sunday. St. John's has a road game at DePaul. UConn will play at Georgetown. And then on Tuesday, well, we got to talk about the Friars again because they go on the road if they lose to Creighton. They've got to beat Villanova at Villanova to win that first Big East title. Yeah, Villanova hasn't played since their loss at Connecticut. So good opportunity for the uh, Wildcats to not only get a win, but get an important win for seeding. These are two teams that are kind of jockeying against each other in the NCAA uh, bracketology. I think both teams can be as high as a three, big one for Villanova. I got to ask the obvious question. The Providence wins against Creighton and loses to Villanova. Does that diminish what they've done? Well, you know, you'd hate to be swept by anybody, you know, in the Big East. But that said, you know, the rules are the rules that these le- these teams agreed on the winning percentage rule. It was not a conference edict. It was a, it was individual schools voted that way. Uh, it, it, it's unfortunate. Obviously, I think Providence w- would definitely rather have played 20 league games, but right. just didn't work out that way. 
Right. All right. And then on Wednesday, we've got actually four games to be played next Wednesday. Seton Hall's at home. St. John's at home against Xavier. UConn goes on the road at Creighton and Marquette goes on the road to play at DePaul. Those are big in every game. Yeah, you mentioned St. John's before. That's going to be a must game for St. John's. Really difficult spot for Xavier, who's playing really well, but losing close games where some of these other teams are winning close games. John, I I, I can't say we've covered this league for a long time. It does seem as if there's more close games, more last possession, last two possession games than ever before. And that's what we've been all about this week. Our thanks to Seton Hall's Jared Roden, UConn's Dan Hurley, and Fox Sports and the Sporting News' Mike DeCourcy for joining us. Thanks to our flagship radio stations for the broadcast and highlight assistance. Thanks to producer Kevin Collins, executive producers John Paquette, Rick Gentile, and Kevin Ivany at the Big East. Thanks to all of our coaches and administrators for all of their assistance at all 11 member institutions. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook. We're on Twitter at JR Broadcaster at Kevin McNamara 33. If you've got questions, use the hashtag TwitBe. We'll be here same time next week for This Week in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.